Every year, tens of thousands of dogs, mostly beagles, are used as tools in deadly research experiments. Join me, your host, Ellie Hansen, as we dive into this issue and talk to all the awesome people out there trying to make a difference for these dogs. Best of all, find out what you can do to help. We're opening doors for discussion and shedding light on the facts. This is Dog Research Exposed. More and more research in recent years is pointing to a connection between violence against animals and violence against people. Very often, those who abuse members of their family, such as spouses and children, may also abuse the pets in the household. In fact, this linkage is so strong that some states have enacted laws that allow abused women entering domestic violence shelters to bring their pets with them. There is also research that shows an increase in crime rates in slaughterhouse communities. As our guest Amy Fitzgerald writes, slaughterhouses have a unique and insidious effect on the surrounding communities. Could the same be true for communities where animal testing laboratories are located? I'm not alone in wondering about what types of people are attracted to working in a dog laboratory, where their job entails intentionally hurting and killing dogs, which is the definition of animal abuse. My conversation with Dr. Amy Fitzgerald highlights a glaring point. We don't know much about what goes on behind laboratory walls, and that's not good for the animals inside or the people who work with them. Dr. Fitzgerald has spent the last 20 years studying the juxtaposition of animal and human abuse. She's a professor of criminology in the Department of Sociology, Anthropology, and Criminology at the University of Windsor in Ontario, Canada. She is also a founding member of the Animal and Interpersonal Abuse Research Group and was a visiting research fellow at Harvard University's Animal Law and Public Policy Program in 2020. Dr. Fitzgerald steps out of the classroom to lead us into some deep reflection about human behavior and how understanding it may help dogs and other animals in laboratories in this latest episode of Dog Research Exposed. You and I first became acquainted through happenstance. I was a guest on a radio show, and the co-host of the program came up to me afterwards and said, I've got to get you in touch with my friend who is a professor at a university who would be a great guest on your podcast. And so here we are today. And I'm really excited to explore the issue we're about to talk about in depth, which is essentially defining how violence against animals in laboratories, which essentially are the harmful experimental procedures, is still widely accepted in the scientific community as a cultural norm, while this same behavior is widely rejected and may even be considered a crime outside the confines of the laboratory. This is a pretty deep topic, so before we really get into this, 
Could you tell us a bit about your current research surrounding sociology and animal abuse and why and how you became so interested in this area of study? Sure, I'd be happy to. And, and first of all, thank you for, uh, for having me on. My interest in this area began over 20 years ago now. I was volunteering at a, uh, an animal shelter. And one of my jobs in my volunteer position was to fill out the surrender paperwork when someone would relinquish an animal. And um, I was hearing an increasing number of people, women, telling me that they were giving up their pet because they were worried about their partner and what their partner might do to the animal or threats had been made against the animal. So this got me thinking about kind of the relationship between harm against people and and harm against animals. And so I, I went on to conduct research on the relationship between animal abuse and intimate partner violence to see what I could find out empirically about what you know, I was I was hearing anecdotally um, in my volunteer role, and um, and that first study that I did was interview based with domestic violence shelter clients, and then after that I uh, I went on to study what may seem like a dramatically different topic, but it was the relationship between slaughterhouse employment levels and community crime rates. Um, so basically with that study, I was looking to see if there's a relationship between the way we treat animals and the way we treat people when, when our actions with animals are, uh, are not criminalized. And so I conducted research in that area. And, uh, and just to give you a, you know, a quick overview, I, I found that there, there is a relationship between slaughterhouse employment levels at the, at the county level. And, um, and crime rates, specifically violent crime rates. And so in recent years, I've, I've done a number of different studies, but right now I'm, I'm working on an extension of that early work on the relationship between animal abuse and intimate partner violence and, um, and currently conducting a survey-based study across Canada, which is, which is where I'm located, and to see what the impact is on the humans involved, the animals, and, and one of the findings is that unfortunately people, the abuse of animals is, is not uncommon. 89% of the sample, of my sample reported that their partner had mistreated their pet in addition to victimizing them. So there is this relationship and I, I'm looking, I'm currently digging into it to see, okay, well, what can we do then? Um, in helping individuals escape violent relationships when, um, you know, over half of the, the women I surveyed reported they delayed leaving their abuser because they can't bring their pet to the shelter. So trying to figure out, okay, well, what are the ways that we can help people to leave abusive relationships? So basically my, my research, you know, in a nutshell is, is looking at the ways that harms against people and animals intersect and and what the uh, the consequences are for uh, for human and animal well-being. The treatment of animals in laboratories is not really described as animal abuse by those who work in the industry or those who somehow benefit financially from using the animals and even our own government. Yet, 
undercover videos prove that animals in laboratories are very often treated cruelly. Animal cruelty is a crime in the United States. As an example, if I intentionally fed my dog a poisonous substance to make him sick, that would be a crime in the real world. In the United States, animal cruelty is a federal offense. So in your professional view, why is there a disconnect between science and the rest of the world? That's a, it's a good question. Um, there's a disconnect in many of the ways that we treat animals. There are many socially approved abuses of animals that are criminalized if other species are used. So for instance, there was a, a court case here in Ontario um, where someone was charged for giving water to a pig who was being transported to slaughter. And um, her defense in the case argued that if it had been a dog, you know, in the truck who was overheated and thirsty and she gave the dog water, you know, she would have been applauded for that. So there is, there's definitely is a, a disconnect. And then there are other in- instances where the same species of animal can be used um, in one context and then abused as long as it's in a different context. So for instance, like horses. And and this is the case too in, in scientific use of animals where companion animal species can be used. And as you point out, you know, if we were engaged in activities with those same species of animals, but in a different context, you know, the, the type of behavior would be considered criminal. And it is, you know, there is this disconnect between uses and, and context. And and actually the, the use of companion animal species in science was one of the catalysts of the, the animal rights movement. Um, and Carol Lansbury wrote a great book years ago called The Old Brown Dog about the use of dogs in vivisection in England and how it became a, you know, a point of unrest among feminists and labor groups who identified with the animals that they, they viewed, you know, as being victimized. And there, there is a lot of empathy for companion animal species and for species of animals that are considered cognitively sophisticated, like, like primates. But part of the problem is that the animal use industries have gotten increasingly sophisticated in how they can hide activities behind the walls of secured buildings. So for instance, you know, going back to the example of um, animal slaughtering, you know, a hundred years ago, they were giving tours to tourists in slaughterhouses, right? And now you can't get anywhere near a slaughterhouse or, you know, a scientific lab that's experimenting on animals. And the you know, increasingly legislation is, is being enacted that also keeps people from seeing what goes on in animal use industries. So I, I wish there was more transparency. I wish there was more regulation. For instance, you know, we often hear about the, the three R's in scientific research with animals, right? Replacement, reduction, and refinement. But we don't really know how much progress has been made in these three R's, you know, are we doing better than we used to? Um, in what areas might we, you know, focus on doing better? But there's not enough transparency to really provide that insight. And I, I think also harming animals in the context 
of, and of scientific research is socially tolerated because of the view that it's for the greater good, right? So people don't have a lot of insight generally into what's going on in these labs. And additionally, we're told that it's for the greater good, right? Don't worry about it. Um, you know, this work is, is unfortunate, but it's going to keep all of us safer. And the, well, the, the Canadian Center for Alternatives to Animal Methods, which is actually located at the University of Windsor, where I'm at, they use a statistic. And it, the statistic is that 95% of drugs tested on animals um, that are safe in animals fail in human clinical trials, right? So I think that looking um, looking to change and increasing transparency wouldn't just be good for the animals involved, but it might also be be good for the the people involved, right? And you know there has been some progress in that direction. So in, in Canada, where I'm located. Um, this year, we had a bill pass the Senate to become law, which includes a ban on cosmetic animal testing and trade, which is great. And this is on the heels of another law that was enacted that phases out chemical testing on animals. So we are seeing some movement, but I, I think, you know, greater transparency would definitely be helpful to give the general public more information and to help us see where where, you know, real improvements to be made. So there's an animal experimentation laboratory called Vivotecnia in Spain. And Cruelty Free International went undercover there and revealed a male monkey being pinned down on a table by a staff member collecting blood from its leg, while a senior staff member was seen drawing a face on the monkey's genitals pretty much denigrating the monkey. Now, Vivotecnia is a Madrid-based professional research center conducting animal experiments for the biopharmaceutical, chemical, tobacco, and food industries. From your point of view, how do you explain this type of human behavior? Well, it, there's likely a, a distancing going on that, that people do cognitively in order to see the animals as tools. Um, and then this, you know, makes it possible to inflict harm on them. And it, it may sound like this would be a, a difficult, you know, cognitive dance to perform, um, but it's actually not that hard to do in our society because, you know, society gen generally sees animals as tools, right? And so, um, and legally they're considered property. And so for individuals to do this, to cognitively see them as tools, you know, they, they just need to draw on some of that socialization that we all go through in our society about how animals are there for us to use. You have to be nice to certain species of animals, but not to others, or, you know, nice in certain contexts and not in others. And actually the, the devaluation of people as animals is one of the warning signs of pending violence against human groups uh, because it makes the harm of people more acceptable. It creates a distance uh, between the oppressed and the oppressor, and it's part of a, a process of, of othering. So it's, you know, it, like I said, it, it may seem like it would be hard to do 
cognitively, but for a number of people, you know, in our society, we're given those tools to do it and they're just drawing on those tools. Just as an experiment, I applied for a technical writing job at a U.S.-based company called Innotive. They conduct toxicity testing of drugs on dogs and other animals. And besides asking for my resume, their online form sent me to a required question and answer session regarding my personal views on animals. It asked questions like, do I own a dog? Do I love dogs? Do I consider my dog as a member of my family? Do I volunteer with any animal welfare organizations? My guess was if I answered yes to these questions, which I did, of course, I wouldn't get an interview. And that's exactly what happened. So is it possible that the animal testing industry wants to attract workers who don't like animals, even though their job is to care for animals, and so are more willing to harm them? I, I think it's, it's probably the case that they're looking for people um, to hire who won't question the methods that are employed in the company. And they're probably also looking to screen out potential whistleblowers, right? Individuals uh, like yeah. animal advocates who would report on what's going on within the walls of that facility. But asking questions about whether or not you have dogs, whether or not you love dogs, I mean, it's, I, I can understand why they're doing it, but it is challenging because, you know, we know the majority of the population in the U.S., the majority of the population in Canada, um, in many countries now have companion animals um, and they consider them family members, right? There was a survey in the U.S. that found that it was 95 to 98% of people who had dogs reported that they consider them family members. So it's, it's getting increasingly difficult to get around, right? So I'd say that they're probably, they might ideally be targeting individuals who don't have pets, who don't, you know, like animals, but that's becoming an increasingly shrinking, you know, part of the population. It is, in my understanding, a fact that many laboratory facilities are short-staffed, and there's a lot of frustration among the people that work there because they're short-staffed. And Envigo, the massive research dog breeding facility in Virginia in the U.S. that was shut down in 2022, one of the reasons they claimed that the dogs were not treated well was because they were short-staffed. So I think you're right. So many people do love animals and they don't want to work at these places. Yeah, and and the Invigo case is, is an interesting one because it really... It, it was wonderful that they were able to, you know, shut it down and, and get the dogs out, get them to safety. But it also served another purpose. And I think that was to kind of educate the general public a bit, um, because, like I said, they don't know much about what goes on behind, you know, the, the walls of laboratories. And, and a lot of people assume, right, that there are certain species of animals that are experimented upon, but, but not others, right? Um, and so that case, I noticed it received a lot of media attention 
because they were dogs. You know, if they had been a different species of animal, you know, let's say pigs or something, right? It wouldn't have received the same amount of attention. But because they were dogs, it, it really did pull at the heartstrings of, uh, of a lot of people. And I think probably got some people thinking about an issue that they really hadn't thought much about before. The harmful use of animals in laboratories also negatively impacts the mental health of the people who work with the animals in the research laboratory. And here's where maybe you can answer one of my deepest questions, because I've always thought about this. How can anybody work in a laboratory, especially a dog laboratory or any animal laboratory, force feed dogs drugs, watch them suffer, and then see them die or kill them? I mean, who can actually do that job? There's evidence emerging that those who work in animal experimentation may suffer deep emotional trauma. They report experiencing feelings of guilt grief, sadness, anger, anxiety, headaches, sleeplessness, despair, overeating, and rage. So in your opinion, could the effects of working in an animal laboratory spill into someone's personal life, or even worse, into other criminal acts? That's a, it's a good question. Um, I am aware of the growing body of literature pointing to the negative uh, emotional impacts of animal research work. Um, I'm not aware of any empirical studies yet testing the hypothesis that there's a spillover from the infliction of harm against animals to the infliction of harm against people um, in this specific context. But there is a, a parallel body of literature pointing to the negative social psychological impacts of animal slaughtering, which I mentioned earlier, you know, and some of that research, um, you know, I've done. And it's similar in that, you know, the it's work that society needs people to do, right? But the workers who do it then kind of get scapegoated. Um, and help individually responsible, right? So we don't like to talk about, you know, research work on animals. We don't talk like to talk about slaughtering animals. Um, and the individuals who do that work, you know, are, are kind of, you know, denigrated by extension. So not only is it difficult work that they're doing, but then you have a society that's telling them, you know, there's something wrong with them for doing that work. So it does put them in a, a difficult position. I'm also aware of literature, you know, that speaks to the negative impacts of animal shelter workers, of, uh, of engaging in euthanasia of animals. So um, euthanasia rates in animal shelters are associated with, you know, higher turnover rates in the industry, in the animal shelter industry, increased levels of stress, you know, work-family conflict, substance abuse, things like that, right? So it's, you know, you can see how there's, there are these bodies of literature in other contexts. And while there hasn't been, you know, a whole lot of empirical research in the context of workers in, um, you know, the scientific use of animals, I think that it's, it's one area where more research is, is needed. Uh, but of course, it's 
tricky, right? As, as a researcher, um, one of the first things I think of when I think, okay, this is an area that, you know, needs more research. Here are some pressing research questions. And then the next question on my mind is, okay, access. How am I going to get access to data? And like many animal use industries, this is a context where it's difficult to get access, right? Because, you know, these companies aren't going to give me a, a list of employees who work there, right? And so then even if you can get access to them outside of their employer, understandably, a lot of people are going to be hesitant to participate in research because they might fear for their, you know, their job. They might feel like society, you know, as I mentioned, denigrates them for the work they do. So doing research in this area and, you know, in other areas where animals are used is definitely a challenge. It doesn't mean that it, you know, it, it shouldn't be done or it can't be done. It just takes an awful lot of effort and oftentimes, you know, convincing granting agencies that, you know, that the research needs to be done and that, you know, researchers need funding in, or, in order to be able to do the research. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the future, you know, there there are studies that investigate, um, you know, the possibility that you pointed to. I'm glad that this area is receiving more attention, you know, through the Invigo case, like I mentioned, through your podcast, because it it is an area where people, um, like I said, they they tend not to want to think much about scientific use of animals and you know they they don't like to think about what it would be like to engage in that work um but i think you know if you if you're using products that were you know made possible through the use of animal testing i think you have an obligation to confront you know what your your own consumer decisions have have made possible and so you know any opportunity to gain greater insight to that i I think is, you know, is vitally important. And, and I hope that people will, you know, resist the temptation to um, point the finger at individuals who work in these situations and instead kind of point the finger more at the structure that makes these positions possible and, you know, and, and makes them necessary within today's social context. Now, it's challenging because it's hard to gain access to, you know, these types of facilities to know what are, what are the work conditions like for individuals. And oftentimes, you know, a lot of animal use industries will recruit from um, already vulnerable populations. So they're even more hesitant to blow the whistle because they don't have much in the way of, you know, power themselves, right? And they might be fearing that um, they'll lose their job, et cetera, which also adds to the stress. You know, knowing that even if you see something that, you know, you totally disagree with, your options are limited because you don't really have much power in that context. So that just adds to the um, the stress of it all. And that's why when I talk to people about, 
you know, the, the way that we treat animals and, you know, some of the most problematic aspects of it. I like to remind people that we're often not just talking about animals. We're often also talking about people, right? Because a lot of people will dismiss animal issues and say, oh, you know, that's why do you care about that? Why don't you care about people? Well, these animal issues are also people issues, right? So, you know, think about the people that are doing this work and, you know, the, the challenges of, of doing that work and not being, you know, not having the power to be able to speak out against what's going on, whether it's in a research lab or it's in a, you know, a slaughterhouse or a, you know, animal agriculture farm. That's where, you know, individual consumer decisions can be important and helpful. So avoid products that, you know, that are tested on animals. Um, make sure that you're looking for labeling that, you know, indicates that they weren't tested on, anim- on animals. To your point, you talked about not pointing fingers at the individuals as much as the corporations and governments that are funding and directing animal testing and requiring animal testing. During COVID, laboratory workers were ordered by their corporate leaders or their bosses to massacre basically thousands and thousands of animals all at one time or within a short period of time because they didn't have the staff to work to take care of them anymore. This to me is an act of mass violence. So you have a superior tell the lower workers, all right, you need to kill 300 mice today and then 300 more tomorrow. That's your job. And like you're saying, these people are maybe trapped. They need the job. They can't say anything. Maybe it's like being trapped in a bad relationship. How can that not have a sociological or psychological effect on a person? Yeah. And and there have been other cases where you see like, and I think, yeah, mass violence is a, you know, a good, good description of it. And those instances can be really hard for individuals to reconcile, right? Because it's one thing to, you know, um, give a, you know, a mouse a drug and think, okay, this is for the greater good, right? But yeah, when there's, you know, a widespread culling of animals, then it becomes, it becomes more challenging to, to justify. We had a case here in, in Canada a few years back where a, um, a dog sledding company ordered workers to kill all of the, well, not all of, but a large portion of the dogs that were being used in the dog sledding operation because demand had, um, you know, for dog sledding had decreased. And so they sent workers out to kill, you know, a, a bunch of dogs that they had been taking care of. And, um, and understandably, it was traumatizing for the workers, and uh, and one of them in particular reached out for assistance um, because he was so traumatized from having to do that. You know, we saw the same thing like years ago with mad cow disease, where you know farmers were killing off their entire herds of of cows, and it was devastating. You know, for them, I, I can remember seeing you know videos of farmers crying and you know someone might look at that and say well 
why why are they so upset right they were going to kill those cows anyway but there's there's not this you know overriding justification as that's as strong as thinking okay well i'm doing this to feed people or i'm you know doing this experiment to save human lives when there's a mass call like that um it it's more difficult to um to reconcile and and justify especially when it's you know when it's being done for financial reasons um as opposed to like the mad cow disease example where it was to stop the you know potential spread of disease but if it's for financial reasons like you know they just have too many animals and not enough workers then yeah for workers that i'm sure that becomes more difficult and so if there's a person that has a job in a dog research laboratory or an animal research laboratory and someone orders them to kill 300 mice every day for a week or euthanize a dozen beagles you've been working with or taking care of for the past six months, why doesn't someone just stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do that? You know, I'm. there probably are people who do. And then they're fired, <laughs> right? And we, we don't really hear about those individual cases. But for a lot of people, you know, they, they feel like, I'm sure, like cogs in a machine, right? Like what is, it doesn't make a difference if I stand up and say something because they'll just replace me with someone else. You know, we we see this in the research sometimes with um, with victims of family violence who will sometimes themselves kill the pets in the home. And sometimes they do that because they feel like they'll do it more humanely than, um, than what the abuser will do. Right. So uh, there, you know, there could be some of that mentality involved as well, but it, you know, it's a good question and it, it points to the need for, for research in this area because we really, we don't have the, the answers to it. Are there workers who stand up? What happens to them if they blow the whistle? You know, those are, those are all, those are all good questions. And unfortunately, you know, we've seen with other industries when individuals blow the whistle, you know, it, they, they can do so at the cost of not just losing their job, but also being, being sued as a result. You know, I've been doing research on animal abuse for over a little over 20 years now, and I've seen a dramatic increase in just the past decade of research attention paid to animal issues and, you know, animal maltreatment and harmful behavior against animals that's legally approved of. So, um, you know, if we keep going at the rate we're going, I'm, I'm confident that we'll have, we'll have answers to some of these questions within the next couple of decades. Thank you for joining me, your host, Ellie Hansen, for this latest episode of Dog Research Exposed. We are an independent, nonprofit organization dedicated to using communication, education and collaboration to end the cruel use of dogs for chemical and biomedical research. And we need your help to spread the word. 
We rely on donations to bring this podcast to larger audiences around the world. So please consider making a donation today at dogresearchexposed.com.